1837, there were three young ministers, James Calvert, John Hunt, and Thomas Jagger, who left England with their wives for the Fiji Islands. Theirs would be a difficult assignment. The work there had just begun, and the island was full of cannibals. The first few years showed little fruit, but in 1845, a revival swept through the islands when Chief uh, Thakamau, who had been the opponent of the main opponent of Christianity, was converted. And within a few years, a complete transformation of the islands had taken place as the gospel changed the lives of the people there. When these three ministers and their families first headed to Fiji, the captain of the ship that was taking them there tried to persuade them to change their minds. The captain told Calvert, you will lose your life and the lives of those who are with you if you go among such savages. And Calvert replied to the captain, we died before we came here. John Wesley, who was the founder of their movement, had said in the previous century, give me a hundred men who love God with all their hearts and fear nothing but sin, and I will move the world. And these three young men and their wives were part of the answer to Wesley's prayer. As we turn in our Bible today to Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see the story of three other men who feared nothing but sin, and thus they were willing to be sent even to a fiery furnace to die rather than deny their faith in God. Their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or as they're better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And whatever name it is that you know these guys by, they stand as an example to us of what our faith in Christ should look like and how we can stand for our faith. So I invite you to look with me now as we begin by reading Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and and its width, 6 cubits. This is telling us this thing is 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps. These are the chief representatives of the king. Then the prefects, or the military commanders. And the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces uh, to come into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire." Now, you'll remember in Daniel chapter 2, we saw that God had given Nebuchadnezzar a vision, a vision of a statue, and Daniel had been given the interpretation, and he shared with Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you, O king, are the head of gold, and it represented the kingdom of Babylon that he was over. Now, in that passage, we also saw there was the ultimate king who was to come, which was God's son, Jesus Christ, and Nebuchadnezzar kind of missed that part of the message. Because what he does here is he says, I'm going to build this eight-story-high gold-covered statue to represent me and my kingdom. And he puts it out in this open field so that people can see it for miles around. 
And then he holds this dedication ceremony, not just to commemorate the statue, but so that everybody could dedicate themselves to worshiping him as, as a god. And we're told here that all the high leaders of the land are there. And I want you to picture this scene in your mind. If you've ever seen a university graduation, you know, people are in their uh, academic regalia. They're wearing these long robes and you have stripes for the doctoral uh, folks. You have the hoods that have your various area. It tells you can look at somebody's regalia and know uh, what degree they have and what area they've studied from looking at all this. So it would have looked something like that. These leaders are all in their various finery, and you can see who's what part of government, who's what status. And among them are these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you'll remember we saw last week that they had been promoted up with Daniel. So they're now at the highest level. So even though they're in their early 20s at this point, they're, they're wearing stuff that says, we're, we're higher up than all the rest of you. And this is creating some jealousy, as we're about to see. And we saw in chapter 1 how these three had refused to defile themselves with the food from the king's table. And now their commitment to God is once again being tested. And as we read something like this, it, it shows us how the battle is never done. Sometimes as believers, we're like, you know, God, I thought I passed that test. I thought I've had that class. And, and God brings another challenge or something to come. But the good news is this. As we win a spiritual battle, it helps to strengthen and prepare us for the next and the next time that our faith is challenged. These guys in chapter 1 stood firm when they chose not to eat the king's food that would defile them. Then in chapter 2, when they were facing what looked like a hopeless situation, again, they worshipped and turned to the true God and prayed for his intervention. And now here in chapter 3, they're going to be able to be cool in a crisis knowing that God can be trusted. Each of these spiritual victories has been strengthening that rope of resolve. You remember in chapter 1, we saw this word that literally described the weaving of a rope. And we talked about how their time with God and their time in his word and their, their friends who stood around them were strengthening and supporting them. Now, having done these things, they can stand firm as they face this new challenge. But there's something new in this chapter. You'll notice Daniel is not mentioned. Daniel has been the leader of their group to this point. He's been the point guy every time. But Daniel, being the highest promoted person under the king, is probably off somewhere conducting the king's business in another place. And so these three guys are left to take the point this time. And, and while they have this history of seeing God at work, this time they get to be the leaders. And, and they're told as the music is going to play, you, you are to join in with everyone else. You're to bow to this pagan image. So verse 7 says, The band strikes up, and all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down, and they worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now remember, you're in this wide open field. There's hundreds and hundreds of people surrounding you. And as soon as the music strikes up, everybody falls face down except for these three. So they're sticking straight up. Imagine yourself standing there and everybody around you has is, is done a face plant and you are very conspicuous. Now, it's easy sometimes to stand for your faith when you can kind of mix in with the crowd, right? But what about when you become conspicuous? What about when it becomes very noticeable at work or school that you're the one who is standing for Christ when others are compromising? As you think about your own life as a Christian, do you stand out from the crowd? at work or school, when it comes 
to these times to compromise your convictions. Now, these three refuse to bow, and we see it doesn't go unnoticed because in verses 8 through 12 it says, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and they brought charges against the Jews. And they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. I want you to remember, if you were here when we looked at chapter 2, that all these other leaders who are now coming to the king to complain were facing death. Remember that, how the king was going to wipe them all out? But Daniel intervened, and these three guys prayed with Daniel that God would reveal the interpretation, and because of that, they're still alive. But now, having had their lives spared, their jealousy takes over, and they want these three taken out. When it says in verse 8 that they brought charges against them, this is a combination of two Aramaic words. One of the words means to bite in pieces, and the other one means to devour. It was used to describe malicious slander, and it's really a great picture of what that word means, isn't it? It, it, It's where jealousy begins to gnaw away at us, and, and we in turn respond by trying to destroy somebody else by picking them to pieces or trying to devour them. And so, uh, as these guys are consumed by their own envy, they try to inflame the king's anger. And they go to him, and they say, uh, hey, king, did you see these three guys? They show no regard for you. And then they pour gas on the fire by saying, look at the disloyalty of these Jews. King, these are the foreigners that you raised up above us. These these are the guys that you've shown kindness to, King, and how do they repay you? They think they're too good to worship our gods. They say you're not a god, and and they're just fanning the flames here. And as they play it up, they get what they're looking for, because as we look at verses 13 through 15, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage, in anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these three men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, meaning, of course, I know you will be, at the moment you hear the sound of, and he lists all these instruments, uh, you are to fall down and worship the image that I've set up. Very well, he says. But if you will not worship, You will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? You know, probably the only reason they don't go straight into the furnace, remember he's built this massive eight-story tall structure of a statue. They fired bricks in the kiln. They've melted the gold. So he has this construction furnace set up right there. And this thing is still, you know, going. And, and he says, if, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to throw you right into the fire. And the only reason he doesn't do it is because he probably recognizes these three as, oh, you're the guys who told me what the whole dream meant that made me make this golden statue. 
And, and he doesn't want to lose them, but he can't lose face in front of everybody else. So he says, here's the deal. Your God can't help you here. You know, it's one thing for him to tell me dreams, uh, but I'm the guy right now that decides whether you live or die. So he says, we're going to play the Worship Me song again, and then I want to see you guys grab some grass as you fall on your face and, and you worship me. Now, as we're about to see, it's not these guys who are going to lose their life, but instead it's King Nebuchadnezzar who's going to lose face. Because what he's doing here is literally battling the God of heaven. And the scriptures tell us about other kings who thought they were greater than God. You've, you've read the Old Testament stories, the accounts of Pharaoh, who said, I'm greater than Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel. And he mocked Moses and said, your God is not greater than me or my gods. But after the plagues and pestilence that God sent, there was no doubt who was greater. And Pharaoh and his false gods uh, were not able to keep the people. So Pharaoh let God's people, the Israelites, go in the exodus. There's another king by the name of Sennacherib. He's from Assyria. And he thought he was greater than Yahweh. Sennacherib came and he laid siege to Jerusalem, which was the capital of, of Israel. And when King Hezekiah refuses to surrender, the, this king said in 2 Kings 18, verses 33 through 35, Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath? And Arpad, where are the gods of Sephirim, of Hina, of Iva? He says, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Well, his answer comes in 2 Kings chapter 19, because there in verses 35 through 36, we're told, then it happened. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home, and he lived at Nineveh. Friends, that's not just in the scriptures. Archaeologists have uncovered actual documentation of these 185,000 soldiers being wiped out. Over and over, God has proven his power, and he can take care of those who trust him. The question today is, do you trust God? Do you trust God to take care of you? You know, I had that question asked and answered last night at 9 p.m. We had a man in our church who was taken to the emergency room with a brain bleed. And we were called, and I went, and for the first time in months, I was actually allowed to go back into an emergency room. And as I stood by the bedside of this man who uh, didn't know the extent of the injury and what was happening as his brain was bleeding and his wife was there, we talked, we prayed, we went over this and said, do you trust God? We know God is called Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. We talked about that. We asked for God's intervention in healing. He was scared. His wife was scared. And as we talked about it, these are two wonderful believers in Christ. They love the Lord, trust in the Lord, and they said, we trust God. We know he's in control. He can handle this situation that we're dealing with. Some of you right now are facing situations just like this. You have to make a choice right now. Do you trust God? You're faced with decisions as to whether you're going to follow God or you're going to cave into the culture and compromise on your convictions. Some of you may be facing a pharaoh in your life, like a professor who mocks you in your faith. 
As you're at school, you're told, do you want to get the grade? Do you want to pass my class? Or are you going to stand for your faith and your convictions? Some of us have a Sennacherib who's snickering at us and saying, do you really think God can help you? Others of you have a Nebuchadnezzar in your life who may be telling you, do what I want or you will lose what you have. It may not be your life. It could be a relationship. It could be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, who says to you, if you're going to stand for your convictions, then the relationship is over. Some may be told, see it my way or you don't get that spot on the squad or the team. At work, it might be, do you want the promotion and the perks? For some, it's even, do you want to keep your paycheck? Because you're about to lose your job if you continue to stand for your faith and convictions. When those times come, we have a choice to make. Will we cave in and compromise to the crowd or the culture? Or will we say, as Joshua the commander did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? As you're thinking about what it could cost you, may I remind you, these three young men weren't just looking at losing the luxuries that went with their high position. They were looking at losing their very lives. And as they were told here in uh, Daniel 3, 16 through 18, you are going to bow or burn. This is what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if, you can underline that in your Bible, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You see, they face this crisis, and they say, our God is big enough to handle it. They know he is. Is that the kind of faith you have? Now, before you answer too quickly and say, yeah, yeah, I I have that faith. I know God's big. I know he can handle it. It goes deeper than just saying, I know God can handle it. It's the kind of faith that says, even if God doesn't do what I want, even if I know God can handle it, I trust him. Do you have an even if faith or do you have an only if faith? The difference between an even if and an only if, an only if faith says, I will worship God, trust him, follow him, only if he does it my way, only if he comes through for me, only if he answers my prayers the way I'm praying. And even if faith says, I know God is in control, I know God can be trusted, even if he chooses not to do it how I'm asking, I still worship him, I still trust him. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Friends, we know God can heal, right? He's Jehovah Rapha. As I said to this family last night at 9 o'clock in the hospital, God can heal you. But whether he chooses to or not, we don't know. We're going to intercede and ask for his grace and mercy, his intervention in this situation. But what do we do when God doesn't heal us? What do we do when God doesn't heal our loved one who's dying of cancer or dealing with some other chronic condition? Do we say, well, I can't trust God anymore? Do we have an even if or an only if faith? We know God can provide, but what if God doesn't save our business? What if God doesn't pay the bills the way we asked him to? 
What if God doesn't come through in the way we thought he should? Do we still trust him? Do we still believe in him? Is there a crisis of faith for you if God doesn't do what you want or the way you want? Or do you do as these three young men did and say, but even if he does not deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And as Nebuchadnezzar hears this, verse 19 and following tells us, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, their, their other clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because of the king's command, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. It, it tells us here the king blows his top. His face contorts. He screams. He tells the guys, pile more wood in the fire. Start working the billows. And this furnace is being heated hotter and hotter, so much so the flames are licking out the doors of it. Every time they puff the billows, the, the flame surges out. And as these soldiers are carrying these guys all tied up in all their, their finery, they didn't even strip the clothes off them. They just take them and throw them. And as they get close, the flame is so intense, it kills the soldiers. As they fall to the ground, the guys they're carrying kind of flop in, roll into this open furnace. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, who's sitting at a, at a safe distance, uh, is expecting to see a sudden flash but rather than reading how they're instantly consumed, verses 24 through 25 tell us, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. And he responded and said to his high officials, was it not three men that we cast into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, certainly, O king. And he answered and said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar is sitting on his throne at a safe distance and, and he expects, as I said, to see this sudden flash as they're consumed and instead he sees guys walking around in the flames. He jumps up, he gets as close as he can uh, to the fire peering into it and he says the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. This could have been a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It could have been an angel that God sent. Either way, what we see is God doesn't allow these guys to go through the fire alone. He was with them in the midst of it. And friends, whatever fire you're facing this morning, you're not alone in it either. God is with you. Scriptures are full of reminders and promises of that. You can read Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, my, my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God said in Joshua 1.9, have I, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
This is true even in the times where it comes for us to go from earth to heaven. When our life on earth is over, God doesn't let us go alone. Psalm 23, 4 tells us, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. God takes us by the hand, and he takes us to our home in heaven. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are times that God allows us to go through the fire because it's a refining process. It's a purifying process. It's a, it's a way that God makes us more choice and useful. If you think about gold, the way that gold is refined is it's put into the fire. The dross is burned away. The metal is heated up. And then what comes out is more precious and valuable. You take steel and you, you temper it in a fire. It goes in and it comes out stronger because it's been through. It's been hardened in the fire. The Reverend uh, Howard Pope tells the story about a Christian blacksmith who was living in the 1800s. And this man had a great deal of affliction in his life, so much so that this strong believer who had a testimony in the town was getting mocked for his faith. And, and one non-believer said to him, if God is real and loves you like you say, then why is your life so hard? And the blacksmith replied and said, I don't know that I can account for these things to your satisfaction. He said, but as a blacksmith, I will often take a piece of iron and I put it into the fire until it's white hot. And then I put it on the anvil and I will strike it once or twice to see if it will take a temper. And if I think it will, I plunge it into the water and I suddenly change the temper. Then I put it in the fire again and then I plunge it into the water. And I repeat this process several times. And then I put it on the anvil and I hammer it, I bend it, I rasp it, I file it. And it makes some useful article which I put into a carriage where it will do good service for 25 years. If, however, he says, when I first strike it on the anvil and I think it will not take a temper, I throw it into the scrap heap and I sell it for half a penny a pound. The blacksmith went on to say, I believe that my heavenly father has been testing me to see if I'll take a temper. He's put me into the fire and into the water. I've tried to bear it as patiently as I could, and my daily prayer has been this. Lord, put me into the fire if you will. Put me into the water if you think I need it. Do anything you please, O oh Lord, only for Christ's sake. Don't throw me into the scrap heap. Friends, how many times do we pray, God, keep me out of the fire? God, make my life easy. I don't want to go through these hard things. I don't want to see somebody I love suffering and going through these things. And, and what we're doing is forgetting that God has us go through these things so he can do a greater work in or through us. As Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael go through the fire, we find in the next verses it's, it's for the sake of others more than themselves. Verses 26 through 27 tell us, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. 
and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials, they gathered around and they saw in regard to these men the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was their hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor did they even have the smell of fire upon them. These three guys come out. The crowd surrounds them. They start looking at them. Nothing is burned. The only thing missing were the ropes that they were tied up with and thrown in. God burned the bonds off them. And as as they come out, verses 28 through 30 tell us, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command. And yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Do you remember how just a moment ago Nebuchadnezzar had arrogantly asked, what God is there who can deliver you from my hand? And now here he answers his own question and he says, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of heaven, the one true God can do these things. He goes a step farther and he says, no one is to speak against this great God or they will be punished. You know, for those who went against God that day, nothing went the way they had planned, did it? Nebuchadnezzar had set up this this massive golden image to be worshipped. He said, I'm a God, you're to worship me. And now Nebuchadnezzar at his own little party says, everybody is to worship the true God of heaven. All the officials who thought we're going to take these three out, we're going to have them killed, or at the very least, we're going to take them down and they're going to compromise. They ended up being elevated even higher. They were promoted yet again. They were given more favor and more responsibility. As we end today, I want you to look at what you're facing in your own life. I want you to ask yourself, what could happen with you if you will invite Christ into your crisis? What could happen in the scenario, the situation you're facing, if you invite Christ into your crisis? As you do, remember to come not with an only if faith, where you say, God, this is how you must handle what I'm facing. Instead, come with an even if faith. Even if, God, it's not the way I wanted. Even if it's not what I thought you should do. I know, God, this will bring you greater glory, and it will bring me closer to Christ. So, God, I trust you. I invite you into my situation. I turn it over to you and ask you to be God to lead and guide me. Will you join me please as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, as we read your word, we're thankful for it. This is not some made up bedtime story. This is something that happened with real people who lived in a time where they were forced to make a decision. Will they compromise? Will they bow? Will they give up their convictions to go along with the culture? To give in to the the pressure they faced around them, but they stood firm. And God, you could have allowed them to be martyred. 
There are people in our day, God, faithful men and women all around the world who are dying even as we sit here with the freedom to worship you, who are being martyred for their faith. And you tell us, God, that they're with you in heaven, under the throne, waiting to receive uh, the robes. You've given them robes and rewards that will come for their faithfulness. God, they are like these men who said, we will now bow. Even if our God doesn't save us, it doesn't change anything. And God, some of us today are facing things we never thought we would. The culture around us is quickly caving in. The foundations are being eroded away, and we live in a world that does not honor you, that mocks you. And I know there are men and women, boys and girls, sitting here right now facing crises at work or school or in their own families where they're being told to essentially bow or burn. They're going to lose things if they don't uh, worship the world and what it says. And God, I pray for faithfulness. I pray for conviction. I pray, God, that we would be believers who have an even-if faith, who say, even if, God, you don't come through the way I want, even if you don't do things my way, I will not bow. I will stand firm for you. I'll stand firm for my faith. God, we know you can be trusted. We know that you're in control. And so we commit ourselves anew to you. We ask that you'd lead and guide us and use us for your glory in the places that you have us. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a need, we'd love to pray for you, to stand with you. If you're watching and worshiping online, you can email those to us. We'd love to pray for you. For those of you who are here, the same. We would love to talk with you if we can help. Uh, thank you again for being here to worship online and in person. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you again for being here to worship. The ushers are going to be dismissing you by rows coming forward, and you can go out these side doors. God bless you and have a great week.